Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. Good morning, Jeff. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm well. I understand that you live in an anarchist jurisdiction now. You know, that's just the way it is. I can't help all the anarchy. I try to be good, but I guess being here in Seattle, I made an illegal U-turn the other day, Ooh. and it felt great. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's that's a slippery slope. That's how it starts. It um, is. So, so we're going to follow up on a recent episode that we did about retouching photos, where it was kind of retouching for dummies or an idiot's guide to retouching. Um, <laughs> this week, we have Lisa Carney, who is an actual professional retouching what would you a retoucher? What would you say? Oh, hi! I'm going to jump <laughs> hi, in. Lisa. Hi, I'm jumping right in. You know what's interesting about the title retoucher, retoucher, or finisher, or compositor? It means different things for everybody. So I often have to tailor my title to whom I'm speaking to. Isn't that interesting? So, what's your title for Jeff and I? I'd probably call myself a retoucher. Okay, a retoucher. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't isn't there isn't there something called a retoucher for furniture for like sofa coverings and something? <laughs> that, don't they call that? Or am I? I have no idea, but possibly. I will tell you, I I am called a finisher often, and there's finishing for video, which I am absolutely not. I am a print retoucher, and then there's finishing for some other industries, which we probably shouldn't talk about. <laughs> yes, so uh, it all depends on who you're speaking to. Welcome to okay. our new podcast, Furniture Active. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to start by saying that many years ago, and this ages me, um, I was able to appreciate the experience of professional retouchers. For a short time, I had a job as a messenger in New York City working for a company that did retouching on Cibachrome prints. And I would watch the retouchers there with the little tiny brushes and the, all the colors that they were using. And these were big prints. These were like, what? Two, two feet wide, often bigger. And these were things for fashion industry. And they'd retouch, roll them up, put them in a tube, and I'd hop on a bus and deliver them. And I would just spend some time watching them. And it was just fascinating to see what they could do on a print. It's unbelievable, right? Well, I'm going to date myself. I used to be in art school at Art Center where I got my degree in photography with a etching with a little uh, exacto or etching and etching out prints and respotting. And it's no different. It really isn't. It's just a different machine now. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, so how has it changed? Because when we talked about retouching for dummies, it's like you click the tool and then you click the brush on the thing and boom, the dust spot is gone. But when I'm looking at some of the, your work on your website, there'll be a link in the show notes. Um, I can see that there is a level of work here that it's not just it's it's not just cleaning up. It's a creative work. And because you're doing many things, you're working on the image. You're probably doing color grading. You're putting multiple things together. I mean, let, let's start on an image that I just love. And I'm really glad to see that you worked on that. It's that picture from Succession. Ugh. One of my favorite TV series. So painful. It looks to me like there's a lot going on there. Like, Darlene, you have no idea. <laughs> that in particular was a crazy, crazy build. And it was more crazy based on the time, the time allotted to do the job. So let me yeah. start start out by saying this about retouching. I believe I've been doing this for a really long time. Like we're nearly at 30 years, which I know if anybody could see me, they'd be shocked because I'm so young. Totally kidding. Um, and I think... <laughs> 
Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, I will tell you that retouching is in itself a a art form and needs skill. And I'm going to say something that might be um, shocking to some of your audience, but I find that photographers who are trying to do become retouchers and stay photographers it's like to me an impossible task when a shooter comes to me and he has spent he or she has spent 20 years mastering their craft and then they want me to teach them how to retouch i'm like sweetheart i spent 20 years mastering my craft you're not going to yeah, get yeah. you're not going to get as good as you are as a shooter as a retoucher it's time in it's literally just time and effort in however there are things that you know photographers can do minimal retouching that they can do that i think is not dangerous to their work do, do you understand what i'm saying like it's it's yeah. one of those things where and i feel like photographers feel like they're supposed to be amazing retouchers and they're a separate skill set and i think it's too much pressure to to make someone feel like they have to be the the master of all these traits when they're individually craft well, which photographer cares a lot about retouching? I mean, if you're a professional portrait photographer, you want to know how to retouch portraits. But my, my gut feeling is that portrait photography retouching is not that complex because you've got basically static situations with light that's relatively smooth. Um, if you're a wedding photographer, on the other hand, that's probably a lot more complicated because, A, you've got lots of photos to do quickly, and, B, you're in all sorts of different situations with different lighting, right? All right. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to give you a little pushback on this. Actually, I disagree. Good. I would say the, the face is probably one of the hardest things to retouch well. It really is. And, okay. and how you can tell that is if you look at the work that's out there. I mean, people are generally – folks when they're learning how to retouch they're ham-fisted they go too far it's like frequency separation has become the bane of all our existence because everyone looks like a smooth plateau now and no one yeah. looks not no one it's hard to keep it looking real so i have some ideas i could share with you about how to do beauty retouching and keeping it smooth and and gentle i think the ai filters that are out there can be dangerous in the sense that, listen to me, danger, danger, Will Robinson. Um, <laughs> it, in that, it's so easy to go too far. It's well, so easy. It's also the case where you're looking at a face, and we're all so programmed to look at faces that when something is off, it's off. Even if you didn't go absolutely crazy and push all the sliders up, if something looks too smooth, then that's going to jump out. Or you're going to look at something and say, ah, that, that doesn't look quite right. I agree. Yeah. It looks and, artificial sometimes. Yeah. And, and it, it, it goes into the uncanny valley feeling. Yeah. I have two categories that I place my retouching in. One is product retouching. And when I say product, I mean people. Like, is that person a product, a model? Are they actually a vehicle to sell something? That or an actor, because movies, that it's the same kind of thing. Or is it a portrait of someone where you're really trying to maintain who they are? And the level of retouching is 100% different based on what the, the premise is. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah, because because I'm just looking at your in your portfolio. What is this? This is the advertising section. Mm -hmm. And it's obvious that in some of these uh, in some of these photos the lighting isn't realistic, but you're applying lighting techniques to make certain things stand out because that's what you need for the advertisement, right? Absolutely. And if you look at the movie stuff, it's 100% unrealistic, but that's not what we're selling. We're not selling reality. Yeah, of course. And I will tell you, um, I feel like at this stage of my career, often I'm also hired for what I leave in, not for what I take out. 
because it is too easy to go too far. Absolutely. And, and I think the, the risk of the AI filters is that the algorithm is going the algorithm's trying to reach an ideal, but no one matches that ideal. Yeah. So it's like putting a filter on something and it might work for a small percentage of people, but it's not going to work for everyone for different skin tones. For instance, um, you're going to have very different results with dark skinned people and white skinned people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and it's all a matter of aesthetic anyway, what, what you're trying to, uh, accomplish. It's just, uh, I think it's a dialogue that needs to happen, especially with the client, between the client and the, the producer. So tell us about the succession photo. Okay, great. So the succession photo, uh, oh my heavens, I'm trying to recall, eight part body strip, eight part head and body strip. So that means there's eight different heads switched on the bodies and they shot them all in a group. So you can imagine if you're if you're shifting someone's shoulder and putting a different head, then you have to recreate the body that was behind them. So wait, the, these aren't the bodies that the heads were on? They shot no, the no. heads and the body separately? Oh, no, it's the same photo shoot, but it's different frames. So you may be using a head from one shot and a body from another. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, which is challenging. It's really challenging because people shift, you know, a quarter inch shift yeah. and holy Jesus. I just wanted to jump in and say, for the people who, who aren't looking at this on the website right now, this is a horizontal ad that has seven different characters from this show all sitting around a table, of course, you know, looking dramatic and mysterious. And Well, there's two of them. There's a horizontal and there's a vertical. Right. Oh, I didn't see the vertical one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, there it is. Yeah. Uh, above is the vertical, the sort of standard portrait format, and the mm -hmm. horizontal is more like a banner ad on a website. As I look at this as a as a photographer, if I was not knowledgeable at all about any retouching, I would say, oh, it's got good lighting. They've set up this shot. You probably had to, you know, adjust the levels a bit, but it's a very straightforward photo. Yeah, that's what I thought originally. The, the only thing I would have suspected is that maybe there's a green screen in the back and there was an overlay put in there. But all the people around the table, I would have just assumed, okay, they spent a couple hours with cameras and lights around the table and they were trying to look natural, yet that's not what they did, is it? And so what you're saying is this is constructed from lots and lots of sources, yeah? Yeah, well, keep in mind, they were all sitting around a table that did not look like that, by the way. And I'm, I'm looking at it right now and I'm trying to think, the guy in the bottom right hand corner closest to the camera criminy he was three different body parts stripped together for that pose i will tell you the the glasses those were all stripped in with the whiskey oh my lord that was a pain um and of course the crack was stripped in and again the the issue is not so much the photography was beautiful i forgot who shot it um it, it's more that it's stripping in a bunch of different shots to make that one scene and the amount of time. So I will tell you on the vertical, I had a pretty decent amount of time. I think I had a day and a half. I had four hours, I think, for the billboard. And I mean, holy criminy, that is not enough time. Absolutely not enough time. But why do they do it like that instead of trying to get almost everything in one shot? Why is it in so many little parts that you have to stitch together? Because it's the decision makers. So if the one person who was deciding what that composition was, was at that photo shoot, awesome possum sauce. But you've got a lot of chefs in the kitchen and one show, you know, the showrunner wants this shot. The actor has killed these four shots. And then 
Also, you know, it's an interesting thing. This might be a good time to talk about this. Uh, more and more, I am hired to go on set for photo shoots. And honestly, this is the best $1,000 any photo photographer can can spend having a retoucher on set. Because what happens is you have, often have a sketch or you have an idea and everyone's looking at the monitor and, oh, that looks great. But you get a retoucher on set and you're actually plugging it into actual sizes and what's being produced. And you can go, oh, my God, drop the camera by six inches because you're way too high. Yeah. And it's not yeah. so easy to tell when you're standing up and looking at the scene versus when you literally drop it into a, a layout. And you can also give recommendations for lighting that are going to work more in a print than what they're seeing live. Yeah, that's a, I'm so glad, uh, Kirk, that you just mentioned that because uh, I was doing a photo shoot with a, a photographer, a great guy, Dana Hersey, does really great stuff. And we were doing a top ramen or cup of noodle cup of noodle ad and we knew there was social media buys going to be on this not just big print and he had a hard rim light that looked amazing uh on the shoot but i said listen if this is going social media and this is going to be two inches by two inches that hard white line is going to look like a masking error so can you do a yeah. few frames with the with the rim light turned off and he's like, oh, my God, I didn't even think of that. I'm like, yeah, here we go. And then we strip that in and you give you deliver multiple products to your client that work for the medium. It's not one and done anymore. I think this is one of the interesting things about what you've said so far is just how many people are involved. Because a lot of our listeners and us, what we're accustomed to is I've got a camera. I'm going to go out and shoot some stuff. Oh, I shot some stuff. I'm going to go and edit it in Lightroom or Luminar or what have you. And at just just the sheer number of people that I, I think even on your simplest jobs has got to be you know, just so many different opinions and so many ideas to start from. Like, oh my God, how yes. does that even come together? It, well, it's really interesting. So for most of the work I do, uh, there's some kind of sketch comp. And then there's a photographic comp put together. And then generally a client will sign off on the idea. And then that will go into finishing. That means really tweaking every last little detail. And then it makes the rounds. It makes So, so imagine this kind of business flow. If you are um, a photographer and you have client direct business, chances are you're going to be making a lot of this decision and the client generally is going to take your word for it. But I am often hired by ad agencies who are hired by a client. So I have a photographer in between me and the ad agency that I have to please. It then goes to the ad agency who then is going to have their opinion. God knows how many people are going to have an opinion there. <laughs> and then, so you do revisions based on that and you try to come to a collective agreement and then it goes to the client and then the client's going to have their say. So there is revision after revision after revision, and it's not necessarily a quality thing. It's an opinion. Hmm. It's aesthetics. So I will tell you, I am not the final decider on anything I do, except for my personal work. And I will tell you, even looking at my stuff on, the, um, on my portfolio, I'm like, oh, my God, some of these, I would not have made those decisions. But I'm not the decider. I'm a service provider. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You you do what people want. And, and that I think uh, photographers, professional photographers or other people in graphic arts like you, you have to make that step to do what your client wants instead of insisting that you know the right way, um, because you can fight all you want. I, I have two rules for being a freelancer. I've been a freelancer for 25 years. The first is never miss a deadline. And the second is don't argue with your editor. Oh, my God. And Amen. You, yes. Yes. <laughs> you can make suggestions, but you will just go blue in the face if you're trying to get your way, especially we're talking big budget things like 
movie and TV or, or you know, high-end advertisements. Um, it's obvious that you can do the best that you can do, but it's like there's a life to live out there. Yeah. There, there are other hills to die on. Yeah, and you have to be really clear who who are you in this role? Like, uh, it's not my choice. I'm, I'm here to provide a service for them and give the best advice I can, but uh, I'm there to service them. So I will tell you, I have a general rule also. When I do a job, I give them what they ask for. I will often give them a version of what they, I think they really meant to ask for. And what I mean by yeah. that is, I can't tell you how many times people will say, oh, I want to take five years off that person or make it more yellow or make it more red. And it's like, well, no, they actually need to be magenta. And they actually, so there's the deciphering what they asked for, what you think they really meant to say when they asked for it. And then I give them a third version, which is what I would recommend. And they pick yeah. what they pick and rock on. I'm curious as to what this material looks like when it comes to you. Because we're looking at that succession ad, and it's it's obviously professionally shot, professionally lit, but is that sort of the quality that you receive, or do you get source material that is just all over the map that you have to work magic on? Uh, yes, yes, and yes. So it absolutely <laughs> depends on on the the studio and the job. Um, a lot of uh, Netflix stuff tends to be. Um, shot on location while things are being filmed so it's not quite so managed versus a gallery shoot and so it, it runs the whole gamut here uh i will tell you anymore the comps are pretty tight especially for film they pretty much have it locked in but i will tell you a lot of things and where it gets difficult is things are not locked down like scenes so if you have a five or seven part strip you know the shoulder isn't in the right spot or the neck's off but they sold the concept and then it's my job to sort this out or the worst part is the bleed so imagine for like that secession ad there were what five boards that had to be shipped for that that go wider so while the designer didn't have to worry about how their feet looked or where their legs were i do i have to figure um, out how to source all that out and oftentimes these are cropped shots and i have to get another shot and try to make something work that doesn't fit and all of this in a day or a day and a half for the larger one. Sweet Jesus, Mary, Mother, God, sometimes. Yeah, that, that was ridiculous. <laughs> that, but that, it happens because here's what happens. All the time is spent in the design and concepting stage of people going back sure. and forth and often going back and forth over stupid, tiny little things. Tiny. And then it comes to us and there's a media buy and that job's got to get out. Yeah, everyone's been... Everyone's been delaying and taking longer than necessary, and you're the last person in the chain, and you've got to finish your stuff immediately. Exactly. And it just, I, I, I happen to be pretty fast, thank goodness. Uh, I've, yeah. I've trained myself over the years how to work smart and work faster. And I, it's a big thing about my training. I'm always training people to, to work smart, faster, smaller file size, because I know my time has been eaten up already. Not because I just think people should be fast. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the two succession ads, and I think there, there's a difference in sharpness because the the, the one above um, is blown up from a different resolution, so it looks like it's not quite as sharp. But as I'm looking at them, there there is a, a constant color grading across them. So how do you manage that when you're working with a project where you're going to have multiple visuals that you need to create? Is this just kind of like setting um, Lightroom presets to make sure you get the color grading even? 
No, it's it's uh, really, how do I want to say this? It's really micro done. What I mean by that is the skin tone on the, the gal on camera left, and I'm sorry, I don't know, I never know actors' names ever, which is kind of fascinating. Everyone's skin tone is completely different just based on nature and life. And it's a lot of hand coloring. The shirts have all been hand colored individually, all the clothing. Okay. And then that background, that background is a huge extension, the room or the set they were on. They were actually shot in front of a set, but it was tiny. So yeah. that, that background's been extended till the cows come home. The resolution issue is just because I put a crappy JPEG up on, yeah, that's on my what site. I thought. They're, they're yeah, actually yeah. all really... But uh, you, you do see that the colors match across the, the two images. Um, and if you're hand painting... Let's say you're hand painting the, the blue shirts. You have to make sure you get the same colors in the multiple images. I, I guess if it's a solid color, it's a lot better than like checked shirts, right? Um, yeah. Checked shirts yeah. must be really annoying. Yeah, they are. And that's why I like being on the set because I can request a wardrobe change when necessary. Yes. Um, yeah, it's it's challenging. And in fact, I think I'm going to I'll call myself out a little. I believe the the older gentleman at the end of the table Again, I apologize. For At the head of the me. table, Brian uh, Cox. I, yeah, sorry. <laughs> like I said, I never know any actors' names. <laughs> I don't think I hit the color on that horizontal quite right. Like his color's uh, slightly off. But I, I'll cut myself some slack because, uh, yeah, no, it's off. It uh, could, no, but it could be the difference in the in the the quality of the images that you've put up here. Yeah, because no. the sharpness <laughs> is different, but there could be a slightly no, no. It could be. It well, could no, be. they were the, the fidelity of the shots were exactly the same. It was just uh, the lighting was different, and the colors changed. So, but given the amount of time I have, I'll cut myself some slack on that one, and I don't think anyone would really notice. Um, yeah, and these are the tricks of the trade, like color. I happen to be pretty decent at color. So when I'm looking, and I, I you in Photoshop, thank God, you can actually take the picture. Like I, t I would take pic pieces of the fabric from the top from the vertical which we did first and then literally lay them on top of the horizontal and use my slider so and take a look and make sure I'm, I'm comparing apples to apples so you have to do that when you're doing multiple shots from one to the other all the skin tones the hair the the clothes the whiskey and the glasses you have to match from one to the other absolutely and then in there's no shortcuts this, no 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 shortcuts no. uh there's some tricks but there's no shortcuts and yeah. then imagine this, that you've got your client who's looking at this on their phone in their car, and then they go back to the office and they look at a print, and they're making suggestions and color changes and whatnot, looking at a device. Like, are you kidding? Yeah. Or they're in a room that's all red. And so there's a lot of back yeah. and forth and back and forth. And, and and if they're using, let's say, an iPad with what's the night? Is it night shift? Is that what it's yeah. called, Jeff? Yeah. Where, yeah. where the color shifts after sunset and they've got that setting on. Um, uh -huh. Everything looks orangish instead of bluish. Uh-huh. And oh, you try yeah. to tell someone in that position that they're looking at the wrong color. So <laughs> they're not looking at prints. They are. They are looking at prints, but they're also looking on, on uh, screens. And anymore, especially with COVID, forget it. It's it's all screen. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So it's all screen, and you don't know whose screens are calibrated. Uh -huh. um, you can basically assume that none are calibrated. Exactly right. Yeah. This, this is what, really complicated. It's a, it is complicated. It's a nightmare, and I will tell you uh, the blessed thing about doing this for so long is I get it that it's not me. See, I think yeah. people who are just starting out, they'll think, "Oh my God, I did it wrong." Oh, uh, and I'm like, "No, they're just looking at a funny device." Okay. Yeah. 
And oftentimes what you can do, by the way, is you can put a color bar on the bottom, a, gray, uh, a grayscale gradient and a color bar on yeah. the bottom of the piece, just so you can say, okay, how's that color bar looking? Can you see every distinction on the grays? No, okay, then maybe we shouldn't be making a contrast call right now because you're not looking yeah. at the right. Yeah, because even the brightness of a device is going to affect the, the contrast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're expanding my mind even in a topic that I thought I had a fairly expanded mind about because um, you have a piece, you've got multiple layers, you've got multiple photos put together, uh, you've got different little bits stitched together. Now, can you give me an idea of how much actual, quote-unquote, painting are you doing? I mean... I'm just trying to, to, to picture you working on this, and I'm picturing not only a bunch of layers, but you're probably using Photoshop's liquify tool to bend things into shape, and like how much of of that is going on, or is that is that actually most of it? Uh, no, it's not most of it, to be honest. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> uh, oddly enough, no. It's Usually liquefying or any kind of puppet warp, which I love as well, is really just to match a seam up. Okay. That kind of thing. And it's all about smart building. So I'll get these files and good Lord, there's color corrections underneath retouching. I mean, they're a nightmare. And I reconstruct the file from scratch because the other thing we haven't talked about is modularity anymore. Now, every single job has to be modular. And what that means is when I deliver the file, like on that secession piece, if they, if they didn't have a table in front of them and they were just a, a standing group, everyone would have to move. Or like Man in the High Castle, when I when I worked on that, um, those pieces have to move. And why they have to move is they're building out Netflix, I think. I know Man in the High Castle's uh, Amazon, but uh, uh -huh. Netflix, good heavens, 37 different boards, 37 different size boards you need. And what I mean by that, you know when you all go on Apple TV and you're picking Netflix and the, the yeah. picture shows yeah. up? Look how many different yeah. sizes and iterations that is. And then there's a phone. What if you're looking at it on your phone? Oh, wait, what if you're on your TV? Wait, what if you're on your computer? Those are all different size boards. They're and serving so you have different to... images for every circumstance, not just resizing them in the device or anything. Exactly. Uh... And that is a huge amount of work. So your files have to be what we call modular. And what that means is with the color corrections, everything has to move together. So on succession, if we're using that as our, our demonstration, I can't color correct the people individually on top of global color corrections. That has all be done on their set because they're going to slide and move and change. And so file yeah. construction is huge part of my job. Huge. Hmm. File construction. It's uh, I honestly the the actual painting or cloning or retouching is secondary sometimes to that kind of stuff. Isn't that crazy? Wow. So what you're saying is a lot of your work is shifting things around to fit in a different aspect ratio and a different size. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it didn't used to be that. That was streaming. That was Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu. Yeah. That, that changed everything. Because back in the day, you had your standard portrait um, movie poster. Now they're going to that landscape sort of 16-9 type, what would yeah. you call it, a cartouche or something. Yeah. Um, and again, on a phone, it's a different size because you don't have as much room to see things. So the font has to be bigger, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, it used to be you had two deliverable. You had the ver vertical version and then the horizontal version, and that would go on buses and billboards. But then every once in a while, you get something called a two sheet, which is basically the size of two movie posters side by side. That's called the two sheet. Um, 
and a square. So sometimes you'd have three deliverables. You'd have a vertical, a square, and a horizontal. And now, good God, gazillion. And I, and I assume they they want all those in the same time frame. And we're near enough. Yeah. yeah. Generally, the vertical gets delivered first because it's the first release. And then, gang, we're talking about key art. What about a teaser? So with campaigns, you have a teaser, which is one piece of art, which is saying, hey, this is coming out. Check it out. Then you have the key art, which is the main art. And then you have character cells. So like with the boys, mm. the and yeah, you have all of, of those. them here. Go, go, yeah. go, go, go. You've got all of those. So if, if, you're, if you're on a big project like this where you have this many deliverables, how much time are you spending on the project? How many days or weeks um, to get everything together? Okay, so you can imagine every job is completely different, but I yeah. would say on average you have a week for the, the campaign. That's not much. No, that's not much at all. Wow. Okay. And then if you have multiple artists working on it, multiple finishers, then you have to coordinate to make sure y'all are building it exactly the same way. So generally you have a lead retoucher who dictates how it's going to be done. And then I don't want to call them junior. They're just side side retouchers. They're equally qualified. But you, you mm -hmm. definitely need someone saying, great, this is how we're building it so that we're all consistent. And make sure you're in the right color space. I mean, are you in sRGB? Are you yeah. in Adobe RGB? Are you in pro? You know, yeah. you imagine. How many hours of sleep do you get a night? <laughs> I actually sleep quite a bit now. because Well, I'm fast. That's the other thing. I'm fast. Yeah. So I'll tell you about rates. And so you don't bill by the hour then? I, I do. But so okay. th this is an interesting conversation. I do bill by the hour, but I generally do not give my rate out because people freak out when they hear how high it is. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, great. Why don't I do a project bid? Why don't I tell you how much this project will cost? Because yep. what I can do in four hours, it might take someone else 12 hours. Yeah. Yeah. That's what 30 years of retouching buys you, buys you some, some. <laughs> time is money, but it's not always, it doesn't always, you know, scale to different people. Yeah. Absolutely. And then there's also quality. There's, so imagine, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but no, imagine, fine. so if someone hires me, they'll probably get the job fast. Well, they'll definitely get the job faster, but also they don't have to micromanage me because I already know what I'm doing. Yeah. And two, hopefully I'm making some decisions and uh, corrections that they wouldn't have even thought to do. And if you hire a lower end retoucher, you have to literally dictate everything because they don't even know to make these revisions or changes. Are, uh, we're, I'm sticking to this um, portfolio television streaming page, and there'll be a link in the show notes. Are any of these easier than the others? And, and I'm wondering, particularly, um, there's one for a, I guess it's a film called, 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 where is it? I need to scroll down. Uh, the Neighbors. So you've got some fonts. You've got two green-fingered creatures under a duvet holding newspapers. You don't have any skin tones. Your background's a, a, a white gradient. Um, is that easier, or is it just as complicated to get no, that, that was, just exactly right? Yeah, that was easy peasy, lemon squeezy, and that was a TV. Okay. That Muppets job next to it was a nightmare. Um, yeah. The Desperate Housewives. Lost must have been terrible because I can't imagine each one of those um, each one of those actors is a different shot that you're layering yeah. here. And and you got to remember, they're not often one shot. It'll be a body with a different head. Yeah, actually, yeah. but I, that's what I like. That's like a puzzle. So I really, really love doing that kind of stuff. I will tell you, there's agencies that build files that are easy to work with. So there's an agency in Hollywood called Gravelis. Absolutely love working for them. They do films, uh, TV. They tend to do more independent, lower budget pieces. 
And honest to God, that studio, they know how to build a file. So when I get it, it is clean. It's structured beautifully. So I'm not rearranging a ton of stuff. And there's ways to lower your budget by building smart. So if you use smart objects, for example, and I can easily res up and change to a higher res file, because keep in mind, everyone builds with a low res file. I have to replace everything with a high res file. Well, if they use a smart object and I can do a scaling, an automated scaling, then boom, 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 it's fast, 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 replacing. I had no idea how comp. I, I mean, as I said in the beginning, I knew that this was an art um, from having seen people do this on Cibachromes, but I had no idea how complex this was, and particularly how many things you're putting together. So what I had seen back in the day were, were finished portraits where all they were doing was doing the final touch-up. Um, you're, you're constructing things and, yes. and that's totally different. I had no idea how complex this was. I mean, obviously that lost shot, it's clear that when you have a shot with all the characters in a show, it's obviously not been shot like that, but I would have expected that the succession one was, they did a whole bunch of shots around the table. They picked the best one and then you just fix the colors. And yeah. Well, cause imagine when, uh, you know, the guy on the camera left looks great the guy in the middle on the right doesn't so no it's it's uh, and then imagine they're all moving their bodies and so when you go oh great we got the guy in the light blue shirt he looks awesome but half his body is blocked by the guy in front of him who doesn't look awesome because he's blinking or he's leaning forward and you have to clone out body i mean in fact I'm going to call myself out on the vertical one. I think I have a total step and repeat on his his button. The guy on the camera right with the cyan shirt. Oops. Yeah. This is a pain of looking at your portfolio. You see all the mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe what, I missed that. What, while you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, if you've got seven actors and you're taking photos, one of them is going to be blinking in each photo. Yep. And that that would make it really complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this has been really fascinating. I had no idea. I, I really like when we do these episodes with people who do things that I have no idea about and they can explain them and enlighten me as to how things are done. So, Lisa, thank you very much for joining us. Lisa Carney, link in the show notes to your website, to the portfolio, in particular this page about streaming stuff so listeners can follow along looking at the pictures. And thanks. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. It was great to join you guys. Okay, Jeff, after all of that, I hope we have interesting snapshots. Actually, when I was thinking about this interview with Lisa, the, one of the first things that came to my mind was movie posters and seeing all the composition. And that led me to a book called The Art of Drew Struzan. Now, this is going to fall into the category of painting as it relates to photography. Uh, Drew Struzan has created some of the most iconic movie posters of the last you know, 30, 40 years from various Star Wars ones, Harry Potter, Blade Runner, Back to the Future, Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you've seen any of those posters, you know his work. Now, now he's a painter, but you also have to keep in mind that all the stuff that he's working from are photographs. So he's he's sort of taking that that compositional approach of putting a bunch of different things together and then painting them. It's interesting that in this day and age where painted movie posters are really rare because, you know, it's it's a lot easier, quote unquote, to do them in Photoshop and, and just, the style has just changed to be more photographic, but especially after talking to Lisa, knowing just how much composition and painting and 
all the work that goes into even shots and movie posters that we look at now, they're like, oh, all they did was just take a couple pictures. You're like, well, no, no, they really didn't. It, it, it's a great book just in terms of the history of it, finding out interesting things like he did the poster for The Thing, the John Carpenter version from 19... I can't remember which, which year it was, but he had an idea and came up with it and did it overnight. And it's this iconic image of this faceless guy in a coat and light coming from behind him. So uh, The Art of Drewster, Zan, uh, it's hardback. It's gorgeous, wonderfully printed, uh, runs about $35, $40, depending on where you get it. Kirk, what do you have this week? Recently, Pixelmator Pro announced that the Mac app supports AppleScript. We'll have a, a link in the show notes with an episode from someone from Pixelmator who was telling us about the app. Um, AppleScript, if you're not familiar with it, the best way to describe it is kind of like a macro language. If you know Word and Excel macros, um, you can tell the app to do certain things with a script, which is a text file. And what's really good is you can tell it to do repetitive things, or you can create a script to do 50 things to a photo, but which you want to do to a whole bunch of photos. Um, you can set colors, you can um, make layers, you can move things around, you can put masks on, etc. I'm not really that good with AppleScript, but um, the co-host of one of my podcasts, The Next Track, Doug Adams, he is an AppleScript guru, and he's been writing AppleScript for iTunes and, and other apps for, gee, 20 years now. AppleScript, if you know how to use it, it can be really powerful. So I'm just going to link to a page on the Pixelmator Pro website that discusses AppleScript. Um, if you know about AppleScript, you'll know how to open up Script Editor and look at the dictionary that's in the Pixelmator Pro app to see what it can do. Um, worth pointing out that this was done um, by Sal Segoyan, who used to be the AppleScript guy at Apple, um, who left Apple, I believe, a year, a year and a half ago, and who's been involved with a couple of companies. And so he was recently involved with the Pixelmator people to implement this. So Pixelmator Pro now supports AppleScript. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the end. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app. 